This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Just remember, it's all about the election. Everything right now is about the election. Plus, we'll have the case of Mike Strickland, part one. Polls, Hunter's laptop, or is it, and why it's important. The political fire hose has been turned on full blast, so sit down, settle down. It's time for the Adult in the Room podcast with me, Victoria Taft. Okay, leading big this week is the story of Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, you're asking yourself, why is this even important? Hunter Biden's not running for president. You're so right. You're so right. Hunter Biden is the guy smoking crack, having sex, potentially other weird sexual peccadilloes on his laptop that was turned over to a Delaware laptop repair. Little did the Delaware laptop repair guy know that there were going to be lap dances on the laptop. But there was other stuff there, too, which is germane to the presidential election. And we'll get to that in due time. So why do we care about Hunter's nihilism and his transactionalism and his dad's, as a matter of fact? Because according to emails, texts and documents found on the verified, yes, it's verified laptop. It's his signature. It's been verified by other people who've been mentioned in the emails and all kinds of reasons, which I'll go over with you in just a second. Joe Biden was in on all of Hunter's nefarious dealings, selling access to his office uh, for a piece of the largesse, or most of it anyway, that Biden the Younger got from cushy jobs that his dad hooked up for him or that he got because of his last name. And it appears that the nation's foreign policy, if not for sale, was certainly for lease. It was just a limited lease as long as it took Joe Biden to get out of the vice president's office. And this is pretty serious stuff. Everybody's attacking President Trump for doing this stuff. Oh, the Russians buying and selling the Oval Office and all that stuff. And it turned out to be a bunch of jive. I mean, it was nonsense. It was a big goose egg. And, uh, of course, we were led astray for three years on this uh, Russian uh, Trump is a Russian secret agent. Three years we had that. Now they're back. Of course, Adam Schiff is back with that and saying, oh, this thing about Hunter Biden's laptop, this is just very curious timing, which, of course, it is. We know why it's out there, because the election's coming up. But in the defense of the guy, the poor schmuck who received the laptop, the FBI's had this since last year and they have done. You know what they've done with it? Can you see that? See that? It's air. They've done nothing with it. Nothing. And that's the problem. They've done nothing with it. And here you have legitimate proof, verifiable proof. Here, How do I know verifiable proof? Hold on. I got a piece of paper here. The ODNI, that's the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the guy in charge of all the intelligence, John Ratliff, Ratcliffe says it's not Russian disinformation, which is what the Democrats started spewing after we found out about the laptop and heard about all the peccadillos and crazy stuff 
by Hunter Biden. The FBI. Now, I don't know. Do they have any credibility left? Chris Ray, really? Nevertheless, they say it's not Russian disinformation. It's his it's his laptop. And our, our staff, says uh, Jim Jordan, has established that it's authentic. And the Bidens haven't denied the story. That doesn't make it so. I mean, if you waited for everybody to deny stuff, I mean, you'd be you'd be waiting a long time. We cannot assume that just because they failed to deny it, then it must therefore be true. I mean, we can't apply the same standard that the Democrats applied and the media applied to Donald Trump to Joe Biden because it's an unfair standard. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But he he hasn't denied it. I mean, they, they would say, like Trump did. Remember when Trump, Trump says, well, wait a minute now, the Steele dossier, A, I am a germaphobe. That would never happen, the P-tape thing. I mean, they ran with this in the media. They they ran with it. It took a minute. It took David Ignatius and all those guys uh, at The Nation and or David Korn at The Nation and wherever to put forward the story. And then, of course, BuzzFeed prints the dossier, which was, un talk about unverified stuff. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, and, and one of the tenets of this dossier was that Michael Cohen, Trump's attorney, went to Prague to pay off the Ruskies for this disinformation or the hacking of the DNC computer. And so um, he never went to Prague. There's nothing on his passport. You can't get around the passport. I don't care whose private jet you're flying on. No, 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 no. He didn't go. So that was one provable thing. So you'd think that the Biden campaign would seize upon the one thing that they can say, aha, that means the laptop is not true. I mean, it's somebody else's. It's Russian dif- disinformation. No, nothing. Zero. Goose egg. Got nothing. In fact, Joe's been hiding all week, which is really weird. He called a lid on his campaign at the beginning of the week to Thursday when they have the, the next debate. I mean, how do you stay sharp for that? I mean, what, what kind of vitamin B12 shots he getting? Nah, okay. I don't think the guy's a total stiff, but let's face it, he's not exactly at his best. Joe Biden 2020 is not a thing like Joe Biden 2008 or Joe Biden 1998, okay? Clearly, he's lost, he's lost it off the fastball. So do I think he's in full-blown dementia mode? Uh, I wouldn't have a clue. I'm not a doctor, but I will tell you this. A lot of people don't care if he's in full bl- full bore dementia mode, and that's sad. Anyway, that's that's just my little 411 on that. But we've got all of this stuff converging now about this, showing that the office of the vice president appeared to be for sale. There are photographs. Uh, and the other thing is, is that the media reaction has just been astonishing, stunning, frightening. With Twitter putting an I putting the story on ice, not allowing anyone to tweet out any of the New York Post stories on this case has been absolutely frightening. And the fact of the matter is, when Facebook joined in, which they did, they iced it a little bit and put warnings on it and whatever it is Facebook does, which is, by the way, a huge joke. Um, when they do that, it 
makes it look even worse than the American public are not going to stand for it. Like, okay, so Facebook and all the old farts are getting all their news from Facebook. You know, that's where I get my news sometimes too. And then Twitter. And we're all, we're all on social media because it's the easiest way to find out news. And they're then censoring the news. And people are not going to stand for that. They're, they're going to say, gee, I'm going to go over to Parler. By the way, I'm on Parler at Victoria Taft. But you know, the worst thing about it is, to me, the worst thing about this is this laptop that the FBI had had exonerating and exculpatory evidence for the president of the United States. Remember what they impeached him on? They impeached him on that Ukraine phone call. Hey, call the president of Ukraine and congratulate him. So what does what does Trump do? Of course, gilding the lily. Trump, oh, you're wonderful. And whatever it is he said to the dude. And then all of a sudden he goes, and by the way, there's some some real shiznit going on there. And I'd like you to look into it. And so that, aha, he's asking for a quid pro quo. Therefore, he must go. He must be impeached. And that's what Nancy Pelosi did. And Jerry Nads Nadler. Did I say Nads? I meant no Nads. That, yeah, we'll get to that Hunter Biden and Jeffrey Tubin thing in a minute. So uh, this was exculpatory information that, by the way, the FBI had in its possession and failed to present to Trump's lawyers during the impeachment. Because you know what? The truth is the ultimate defense. If you have information that says that there was actual graft, actual money exchanging hands, like it looks as if. Hunter Biden was dealing with his dad. He was complaining on text messages to his kid and others that he had to give his dad all of his money. And if not all of it, a hell of a lot to keep going. I'm I'm supporting this family. And it looked like, as Rudy Giuliani called it, the Biden crime family. I'm so sick of that expression. Can we just re- can't, let's just retire that expression? Why don't we just say, you know, he was he's crooked. He's super crooked. If any portion of this is true. But then we find out, you know, so all the social media are saying, hey, well, wait a minute. No, you know, this is not true. It's not verifiable. And you're looking at it going, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. The dossier was not even close. <laughs> it was not even close to being verifiable. You know, it was all over the place. Trump's tax returns, Trump's tax returns. Those were stolen. Those were those were illegally obtained by the press. And you could do that if you're the press, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. The, the New York Times or whoever was the one that said, oh, we only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, which is not true, because if you if you pay the AMT at what, what was it? Twenty four million dollars. That's not nothing. OK. And I'm so are we glad that the AMT is gone? The AMT is gone, right? I'll have to look it up. But needless to say, the guy the guy paid taxes. I mean, yeah, rich people got it good because they can write off all sorts of stuff and whatever. But the New York Times got a hold of it. Twitter let that out. How does Twitter know that's right? How does Twitter have a clue as to whether or not those facts were not correct, and which turned out not to be correct? So, but they're still there. Facebook's going, oh, well, we might have to have our third-party fact-checkers checking those facts. You know how the third-party fact-checkers are for Facebook? You'll, you'll want to sit down for this. This is, this is just too good. Okay, you ready? Okay. Are you sure? Anna 
Makanju is Facebook's public policy and legal expert leading efforts to ensure election integrity. Okay, so she's this nice, nice gal, looks nice, non-resident senior fellow, blah, blah, blah. You know what she did before she worked for Facebook? She was, she was Joe Biden's senior policy advisor for Ukraine. I mean, you cannot, you can't make this stuff up. Are we, where are we? Gaslightville? Holy crap. So remember now, all the Obama guys, when they left, you know, when the Obama administration was finally over, all of those people were placed. I did a whole list of people who'd gotten these cushy jobs from Facebook and all the tech people and all the tech companies. You know, obviously, we found out that his, uh, you know, Obama and Michelle ended up over at uh, Netflix and they had on this gazillionaire uh, endorsement and, and, you know, you had uh, the, the money in advance and all that stuff, whatever I'm trying to say. And, uh, you know, everybody ended up with a job over there. And I mean, I'm talking serious business cush job, super cushy. So what she what this chick said, she's at Facebook now. She was Joe Biden's Ukraine expert. Hello. It Maybe it even makes her uniquely qualified to fact check it. But did she? No, she didn't. (laughs) It's good. It's good. Oh, by the way, speaking of tech censorship, of which there's been plenty, did you see that they're finally going to, I mean, it's about time. Seriously, it, it is about time that someone cracked down on the Babylon Bee. I mean, my God, if Snopes didn't get them done, maybe the fact that Twitter and Facebook are now sending after the fact checkers of the Babylon Bee who invoked a Monty Python storyline for truly the dumbest woman in the U.S. Senate. Come on. Maisie Hirono, or otherwise known as Crazy Hirono. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not just being, I'm not being just mean. I'm being truthful and mean. Because next to Patty Murray, Patty, Patty Murray and Maisie Hirono, you put them against the wall and Patty Murray looks smart. That's bad. That's not a good thing. It's not it's not a good thing. Well, anyway, so uh, in addition, they decided that uh, it was the Babylon Bee, which is a satirical. Christian satirical website, so they don't get really super way out there that, you know, you'll never see violence called for you'll never see any of that stuff oh no 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 but they said because they invoked if the duck floats but the woman doesn't uh, monty python bit and if she doesn't float then she's a witch they called it encouraging violence against crazy hirono um oh okay sure sure they can does anyone have a sense of humor anymore what happened to us? What happened to the liberal mindset, the classical liberal mindset? The fact that we can be broad-minded and enjoy. I mean, I enjoy a good Trump joke 
like the next guy because he's, it's so easy. It's so easy to mock him. But I got to tell you, you can't mock what he's done as president. You know, somebody sent me a list the other day. My aunt, Aunt Mary, you'll hear about her on the on the podcast because in fact I might put her on the podcast because you know I think I'm the adult in the room but Aunt Mary is actually a more adult in the room and so she sent this to me and and here you go it's by Navy Crawfish and it was found on Quora no idea how Aunt Mary got her hands on this because I'm pretty sure she doesn't know what Quora is but nevertheless here's what it said what are you voting for The moment when someone says, I can't believe you would vote for Trump, I simply reply, I am not voting for Trump. I'm voting for the First Amendment and freedom of speech. I'm voting for the Second Amendment and my right to defend my life and my family. I'm voting for the next Supreme Court justice or justices to protect the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I'm voting for the continued growth of my retirement 401k and the stock market. I'm voting for a return of our troops from foreign countries and an end to America's involvement in foreign conflicts. I'm voting for the Electoral College and the Republic we live in. I'm voting for the police to be respected once again and to ensure law and order. I'm voting for the continued appointment of federal judges who respect the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I'm voting for our jobs to remain in America and not be outsourced all over again to China, Mexico, and other foreign countries. I'm voting for secure borders and legal immigration. I'm voting for the military and veterans who fought for this country to give the American people their freedoms. I'm voting for continued peace progress in the Middle East. I'm voting for the right to fight against human and child trafficking which is flourishing in the pandemic. My sister just gave me the 411 on this. She said, oh, well, we'll talk about that later. I'm voting for freedom of religion. I'm voting for the American flag that is disrespected by the Democratic Party. I'm voting for the right to speak my opinion and not be censored. I'm not just voting for one person. I'm voting for the future of my country. I'm voting for my children and my grandchildren to ensure their freedoms and their future. That's why I'm voting for Trump. So she sent this the other day, and I thought, I get that all the time. Yeah, Victoria, I can't believe that you would vote for that Donald Trump guy. This was in 2016. I thought, well, he was the last man standing. Who was I going to vote for, Hillary Clinton? Uh, yeah, no. And so I haven't regretted that vote ever since. I'm honest to goodness. I, I don't care about the, the guy's Twitter account. Honestly, I just don't. I care. I care about judges. I care about him leaving me alone. I care about the fact that he has reduced all of the regulations for every new one he's proposed. 22 have been gotten rid of. That is amazing. Do you realize how that has taken the reins away from American business? But I won't get on my high horse here because we've got Jeffrey Tubin to talk about. And I guess I will get back on my high horse here because this actually relates to the Hunter Biden story. Um, first of all, now that we've here, let me take a drink. Hold on. I've got some I've got some warm water here. So here's the deal. Um, Jeffrey Tubin, who's the CNN legal analyst 
and the New Yorker columnist and writer, very talented individual, wholly out to lunch in terms of my political beliefs, but super smart dude. Okay, but not smart enough. Because I don't know if you know this, but he was on his uh, New Yorker uh, Zoom meeting and was masturbating. And he was pleasuring himself. We don't know to what he was pleasuring himself. Was he so excited, if you will, by the content of the meeting? They were wargaming, uh, after all, what would happen if Trump is defeated and it must have made him incredibly excited and brought him extreme pleasure. Or could it have been that he was looking at something on another screen, which someone has opined that he was doing? And who knows what that was? Maybe, possibly, could be the woman with whom he had, who was the baby mama. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah, no, he had a baby mama. He's married, of course. You know, I don't know why she's still hanging around. But uh, he's, uh, you know, he's got a baby mama. And he told the chick, I think it was a co-worker, because, you know, does anyone actually hold these people to their own doggone regulations, their own morals that they at least spout on television? Apparently not. So baby mama told her to have an abortion or else and then uh, or else turned out to not give any um, support, child support. So anyway, I guess she's still married. If I were his wife, I'd probably. (sighs) Well, I wouldn't be his wife, probably. I'd be it. Well, anyway, brings back to Hunter Biden. Of course, there's all these scandalous, scandalous stuff on Hunter Biden's laptop. And as I've pointed out, it is his laptop, sadly, because it's really freaking weird. And um, I just want to say this because I am the adult in the room. That's right. I am the adult in the room. And I'm here to tell all of you people who even have a ripple of a thought, even conceive a vestige of a possibility of a scintilla of an idea of a frisson that you might want to masturbate during the next meeting, I'm telling you, no, no, you may not do that. I'm telling you right now, no. And by the way, anybody sending pictures of their junk over the digital airwaves, if you will, it's not private. It's not private. I know you're sending it to someone, Anthony Weiner, and then accidentally putting out the pic on Twitter. Hello. I mean, that guy's where, where's Anthony Weiner? Where's Anthony Weiner? Anthony Weiner. Uh, so it's not private. It's not a good idea. The only time I actually saw one of those is somebody sent me. Uh, and, and it wasn't like the person sent it to me. It was like it was a news story. So I took a peek and I went, holy crow. Why do people do this stuff? Seriously, it was a Portland Trailblazer. And if you know anything about the Portland Trailblazers, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And I thought to myself, the man needs a sling. How does he do that? And well, anyway, I can't do that anymore. I I promise. This is sort of a family. It's a family podcast. Okay, so now we've got uh, got a few more things to go over before I turn it over to the Mike Strickland story. Now, what happened to Mike Strickland is a very interesting thing. It's one of the reasons I'm not voting for the Democrats this this election is because I'm not going to vote for the mob. Sorry, not doing it. So anyway, don't send your junk photos to anyone. 
please? <sighs> now, have I gotten everything down? Yes, the authentic one. Oh, I did want to mention one thing. One more thing. The polls. You know when the media is lying? You know you know when the media is lying, or the media are lying, when at the very end of the election cycle, all of the polls showing Joe Biden with a double-digit lead, all of them start coming a little a little closer. A little closer. It's like, oh, it's a plus two. A plus two for Joe Biden. And it's like, wait a second. Go go give me the over-under on that thing, the, the plus or minus. And let me tell you something. It's always within the money now. We're starting to find out things are tightening in the battleground races. Do not, do not please waste your time with national polls. Because guess what? It's the Electoral College. Thank God, not New York and L.A. who decide the national election, which is what would happen if we got rid of the Electoral College. So um, the pollster who called the Trump win in 2016 is back with the 2020 call. And uh, he also issued a big red flag in Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the red flag is down. It is on for what's this? Is it the start finish line? The checkered flag thing? Yeah, checkered flag for voter fraud in Pennsylvania, because the U.S. Supreme Court gave uh, the go ahead and allowed the lower court ruling to stand that allowed ballots to be collected after Election Day. Now, do they have any requirements that require a mail-in uh, postage uh, stamp or what have you? Uh, uh, do, do we know it was mailed prior to the election or did it get in under the election deadline? I don't know what Pennsylvania is doing, but uh, Pennsylvania has a terrible, terrible history with voter fraud. I mean, you want to see every nefarious kind of stuff going on there, you'll find it in Pennsylvania. So this guy who's of the Trafalgar Group... And this is a point of pride for me because I wrote this story for PJ Media and Rush Limbaugh read it on the air this week. And I was kind of I was kind of thrilled by that. I, he's the granddaddy, you know, you know what I'm saying? So Robert Cahaley said that there are tightening of the races. He calls Michigan for Trump. Actually, he says in this case, John James, who's that fantastic senatorial candidate, will pull um pull Trump with them if they get enough people to turn out. And if they, uh, I mean, they've got to get more people out there, but nevertheless, he calls Michigan for Trump. He said that uh, Trump is, uh, let's see. He calls Pennsylvania for Trump. If the cheating isn't allowed to happen. Uh, let's see. Oh yes. Uh, battleground states of Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and Texas are all Trump's. He, th- he says, he talks about the social desirability thing where people say what they think pollsters want to hear. And he says, that is big this year. It's five to eight percent. Because people don't know if their votes are anonymous. They're, as they talk to the pollsters, does, does this person know my name? Obviously, they have some information on me, the metadata for the very least. And will they out me? Is this a real poll? Is this a legit polling company where it is... Private, and he, and uh, this Trafalgar Group CEO says it's amazing uh, how distrustful people are of pollsters right now, especially Trump voters. Because if found out, they've seen what the mob's done. They've seen what the mob's done. 
And uh, so he says that social desirability thing is is a real thing. People will say to the pollster what they think the pollster wants to hear, and they'll just shut up. They'll clam up, and they'll just go vote their conscience later. And that's why Trump won in 2016, because, I mean, he was such an unorthodox candidate. People thought, I, what? I mean, I was like that. I was Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz. I even had an option to go work as an underling for the Trump campaign in 2016. I, I had a chance to do that. And I'm thinking, wow, I may, you know, if I knew then what I knew now. Um, I might have done something like that. I might have just helped out a little bit. might have been fun. Why not? Uh, didn't do it because I just couldn't bring myself to, to do that for Donald Trump. And this year, I'm all in. And there are people who also are underrepresented in the polls, according to the uh, Trafalgar group. And these are people that are acknowledged to be there somewhere, the hidden Trump voters. And a lot of people say, oh, come on, hidden Trump voters. Well, actually, they do exist. And here's why. I'm sitting at the hairdresser yesterday. And um, it's very interesting. And she says, she's uh, helping me out there and do my hair. By the way, she gave me a big props on my COVID hair color change. So I just just thought I'd give myself an girl about it. She actually called over other stylists and said, here's what she did. That looks pretty good, huh? Anyway, so she's telling me, Victoria, I haven't voted since George H. W. Bush. I mean, she goes, I just, you know, I was too busy. I was running my businesses. I mean, I had stuff to do. I had kids to raise. I mean, what was I doing? I had other stuff to do. I let other people make my decisions for me. She goes, oh, hell no. You know what? I'm not doing that this time. I'm sick of those riots. This is in the Seattle area. She goes, I'm sick of those riots. I am sick of those people. I'm sick of nobody calling them out for it. I'm voting for Trump. She's like all in. She goes to rallies and stuff. She hasn't voted since the late 80s and 90s, early 90s. So those voters are out there and she's not alone. Plus, she's a biker. So apropos of nothing, but she's been busy. And I'll bet there's a huge biker community. I know there is. I mean, they're all out to Sturgis. And uh, they are all in support of Trump. Many of them are not a monolithic group, of course. But they're sick of the mobs. They're sick of the rioters. They're sick of the people who shout you down and tell you that you have no right to speak, that you are, because of the way you believe, a racist, bigot, homophobe. You are a terrible person. And we are better than you. People aren't buying it. And that's why, for your listening pleasure, I bring you the story about Michael Strickland. He is Antifa's victim zero. And you'll hear about it coming up. Get out of here, racist. I'm not a racist. You don't get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Hey, stop, 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 stop,
Alright, everybody needs to get the hell back! Get the hell back! To the rain pour, dripping off the building and hitting the concrete floor, searching for my soulmate. In the city of the roses, everybody's showing love, but my heart stays frozen. I just want to be chosen to be the single handed reason that you wake up in the morning. I think about you when I'm all alone, and I don't know if I can make it through this on my own. Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case the first case, the case of Mike Strickland. Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month, and now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters, and he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun, and not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed. Our client's position has not changed. That he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland. And the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. Before Berkeley went up into flames, before conservatives were told they couldn't speak on campus for their own safety, before Kenosha, Minneapolis, Seattle, before 100-plus nights of riots in Portland, before it all. There was Mike Strickland. I call him the victim zero of Antifa victims. On July 7, 2016, on a drizzly afternoon in Portland, the Antifa mob and their allies in Black Lives Matter came for Mike Strickland. The Portland videographer and gonzo journalist, as he called himself, was attacked twice by a mob at a Don't Shoot Portland Black Lives Matter protest. He was the first person I'd ever heard utter the word Antifa. I'd been a close observer myself of Portland Professional Protesters Incorporated through the domestic terror groups, the family, ELF, ALF, Earth First, and their brethren in the animal rights movement. But the word Antifa, that was new to me at the time. I didn't connect it to the anti-fascist movement in Europe yet, but it made sense. When given a chance to disrupt, vandalize, loot, bash in Starbucks windows, create chaos as the anarchists did most Maydays in Seattle and Portland, it made sense that they'd supercharge their tactics using now the imprimatur of anti-fascist. I mean, what a great gig, right? Do harm, call everyone with whom you disagree a horrible person, racist, homophobe, white supremacist, neo-Nazi, choose one of the above, you know, the whole basket of deplorables, and then call yourself virtuous. Portland's overwhelmingly white leftists, the goners, the dead-enders, serious anarchists and true believers came together for more vandalism, violence, and called themselves moral and virtuous. I began to get the picture. I mean, they looked like the WTO mobs of Seattle in 1999. 
I'd seen the black bloc tactics, wearing black clothes, balaclavas over their faces or scarves over their mouth and nose, and caps over their heads before in Portland, but never under the Antifa umbrella. Like the violent mobs in Europe, Portland adopted the violent tactics of Antifa. It was July 7th, 2016, at a Don't Shoot Portland Black Lives Matter protest. Strickland did as he usually did on Portland protest days when he would go and record them. He got his go bag with extra batteries, pulled together his camera equipment and got ready to record the event for his YouTube channel called Laughing at Liberals. He holstered his Glock 26, a legally concealed weapon, and made sure he had several magazines, as he usually did whenever he went anywhere. Strickland, the libertarian, had created for himself a cottage industry of filming the left. He did so on local college campuses, board meetings, council meetings, speeches, and sold his news footage to news websites and on television. You see it a lot now, but Strickland was a pioneer. Listen, if you will, to his three-plus-minute 2014 year-in-review program to get a flavor of the kind of work and success that Strickland had in Portland. 2014 was a banner year here at Laughing at Liberals. We started off the year nailing some squishy Republicans. We covered the protests surrounding the near strike by the Portland Teachers Union. We popped up at numerous town halls to show the world the idiocy of Oregon's elected morons. We covered the gun bill hearings, where Floyd Przanski, Jen Lynch, and Penny Okamoto showed us why the anti-gun groups are the easiest to mock and expose. We made our yearly trek up to Seattle to cover the May Day protests. Then came the Law and Disorder Conference at Portland State University, where the crowd chanted and cheered for the death of capitalism. Capitalism is dead. Amen. Let's bury it. Let's have a funeral soon. And where different factions of anarchists and feminists started protesting each other. We will not be silenced in the face of your violence. This would go on to be our biggest video, making it onto international news sites and even the Time Magazine website. Of course, we sprinkled in the occasional politician ducking away from the tough questions. Are you going to testify on the uh, FBI investigations that are going on, or is Obama going to grant you uh, executive privilege like he's granted to Holder and other members? The Palestine and Israel conflict brought protests to the area. PSU began debating whether or not to arm their security force, which brought such quotes as We showed you how brain-dead the average Joe Biden supporter is. Well, we like Joe Biden. He's got a great grin. We filmed the unruly mob of illegal alien supporters. A devout communist on the Corvallis City Council was exposed. Then came the motherlode, the Ferguson-Michael Brown protests, where the professional protester white kids constantly tried to tell the darker-skinned protesters how to protest. Infighting was common. Riot cops used flashbang grenades. 
and moron protesters flooded the freeways. We even committed a crime to close out the year when we illegally made a firearms transfer in defiance of Washington's new law. All in all, 2014 brought us over a million views and nearly 2,000 new subscribers. We were featured on countless news sites, had our footage on Fox and NBC, and during Thanksgiving week, we had three videos make the blaze, seeing two of them on the front page concurrently for the whole week. So as we look back, We'd like to thank our fans, all of the news sites and blogs that have carried our stories, and all those who share our videos with others on your preferred social networking site. What will 2015 bring? Who knows? But rest assured, Laughing at Liberals will continue to deliver the kind of in-person gonzo videos that we've specialized in, exposing the whack-job politicians, mocking Moms Demand Action and their associated wannabe do-gooders, and finding the important investigative stories that mainstream often misses out on. Goodbye 2014, and we'll see you in 2015. As you heard, he calls himself laughing at liberals, but in reality, the libertarian leading gonzo journalist, as he called himself in the Hunter S. Thompson tradition, went after everybody, especially the politicians and the anti-gun people. He turned a mirror on Portland's and Oregon's power class, the fleeing politicians, and they hated it, especially the anti-gun groups. He mocked them for their ignorance amplified dumb stuff they'd say, and then just show them to people. In the early years, he could be kind of a jerk at protests, but he realized eventually that if he just sat back and watched, the people revealed themselves and their objectives, and all he had to do was get it on video and show it to people, and they hated him for it. They were the smart set. They were in power. They were the earnest protesters. How can you mock us when we're right? He turned on his camera, and he became successful. And they hated that his success was based on their bad behavior. Protesters began to turn on him a little in June of 2016, but more on that later. Suffice it to say, however, they didn't like him laughing at liberals. How do I know this? Because when I talked to a couple of anarchists in 2017, they said so. So James mentioned that a lot of people don't like him. Do you think they have it out for him? I wouldn't necessarily say have it out for him, but like he's got a YouTube channel called Laughing at Liberals. The most, the the, the largest uh, activist community here is liberal people, so he's been trolling them. So he's probably got a bunch of enemies. Um, so have it out for him? I don't know. Uh, I mean, would they lie to get to get at him? I think I don't have a high opinion of humanity, so I think most people would lie to get at someone. So, sure, it's possible. Is he not well-liked? By a lot of the activists here in Portland, I would say he's not well-liked. Yeah. Because of the nature of what he does, you know? He's got an unpopular political opinion here in lefty, liberal uh, heaven or haven or whatever you want to call it. So, sure. So, yes, people don't like him. And on July 7th, 2016, they came for him. As Strickland was taking video as usual, a mob of black-blocked-out, flagstaff-bearing Antifa activists surrounded him and threatened him and roughed him up. They called him racist, 
born of nothing, based on nothing. They knew Strickland, and they knew it wasn't true, but they said it anyway. Those were the new rules. Strickland didn't leave. He retreated to the back of the mob, and he retreated to farther outside the rally, on a public street, by the way, outside the all-too-familiar-now federal courthouse in Portland. He kept recording. Antifa and the Black Lives Matter conspirators, yes, admitted conspirators, came back to get him. I'm not a racist. Dude, don't get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Put your hands on me. One 400-pound guy came up on his blind side as if to tackle him. And he was the one who'd started the whole thing. And Strickland drew his weapon. His finger was never close to the trigger, but he drew his weapon and he told everybody to back off, gave them verbal commands. He tells the story a couple of years after that, as we met in a park outside of Portland. So, I mean, the evidence shows these guys premeditating an attack. The evidence shows these guys encircling me from behind, led by a guy who's literally twice my size. Um, the evidence and, and, and statements uh, show that he was indeed pushing and shoving me and uh, possibly others as well, because I'm sort of getting bounced around as he's doing that. So it feels like people behind me are shoving me as well as I'm being encircled by these people. So, you know, the evidence shows that I'm retreating. The evidence shows that um, several other people came running into the scene, many of which came from the same spot where they were previously conspiring to come in and attack me. So, you know, part of me wonders, you know, if they were all in on it together or what. I don't know. Well, indeed, they at least a couple of them said that they had conspired to throw you out before everything came together. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the evidence shows that I'm on the retreat the whole time. The evidence shows that, um, you know, several of these people were aggressive in their posturing. The evidence shows that my attention was distracted to my right when uh, Carenza, the very large guy who started the entire thing, is is then coming up on what my blind side would be, coming up from my left side. And we established that he was about 11 feet away at that point in time, coming up towards me at that point. and again, not meandering towards me. He's coming at me like he means business. And so at that point, you know, I had exhausted all these other options. You know, I issued verbal commands. I started retreating. I, I flipped my monopod around to use that as an intermediary defensive tool. You know, should they start hitting me with their flagstaffs or starting to punch me or something? Um, so I did not reach immediately for the gun. You know, I'm, I'm going down this sort of mental checklist of, you know, the things that I had learned in the, in the tactical classes that, um, that I've taken over the years. And, you know, after exhausting all of these options, still having these people coming, coming after me and now having this guy coming up on my blind side, 
at that point, they left me with no choice. I had to draw for, for my own defense. I had to draw to stop them from what I perceived was imminent, uh, unlawful physical force. Mm-hmm. And when you, what were you thinking when you drew the weapon? Were you scared? Yeah, I was scared. Of course I was scared. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that I had to do that, you know, and, and, and fortunately, everybody stopped when I drew. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad, you know, when I drew, I issued the verbal commands, everybody needs to get the hell back, get the hell back. I'm very thankful that they did. Um, everybody either stopped or backed away from me at that point. Um, I'm very thankful that things did not escalate to the next level there. Um, you know, some people, you know, now I don't know the level of training some of these keyboard jockeys may have, but, you know, some people are saying that, you know, if I was actually in fear, then I would have fired. But, you know, I would look at, I would uh, respond to that by saying that, you know, I was taught to shoot until the threat has been neutralized. In this particular case, merely drawing the gun neutralized the threats, and I did not have to fire around it. I'm very thankful for that. Why'd you have the additional ammo with you and the extended clip or extended magazine? Well, there's no law that limits the amount of ammo someone can have on their person. Um, if there were, that'd be a pretty scary situation because, uh, you know, 22 ammo comes in, in bricks of like 300 some odd rounds and 500 some odd rounds. So, you know, and if there was some kind of law on the books limiting that and someone just, you know, came from Cabela's or Fisherman's Marine with, you know, a 500 pack of 22, God, are they felons now? <laughs> would, would, would 500 uh, pack bricks, as they're called, uh, would those be banned under that sort of thing? So, um, yeah, it, it's not illegal or unlawful to have that much ammo on you. You carried it because... Because you never know what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I was taught to be prepared, you know. Um, I was also taught to carry everywhere, make it habitual, mm-hmm. you know, because you never know when, when trouble when trouble is going to show up, you know, trouble doesn't announce itself a day ahead of time. If so, then the smart thing to do is just stay away from it. You know, and some people would say that I should have just stayed away from this particular protest. Um, but there were no indications that this particular protest was going to get violent. Uh, in fact, it was mostly peaceful up until the time that Benjamin Carenza and the others decided to, you know, stage a physical confrontation with me. At that point, that's when the protest stopped being peaceful. Don't don't start nothing, won't be nothing. Right, and and I wasn't there to start anything, and, and then my video proves it because I was rolling film the whole time. You know, um, you know, I'm certainly not there to start arguments with people or try to start fights or cause any trouble. I'm there to film what's going on. You know, I, I really look at it like a fly on the wall mentality is what I have when it comes to uh, a lot of my video work, especially covering protests. Um, and, you know, if you know, going there to, to, to cause trouble, you know. You, have you ever gone to a protest and caused trouble? Not that I can recall. But as we'll find out in this series, this, this was just the beginning. As Strickland's appeals attorney, which should tell you something about the case, his appeals attorney, Robert Barnes, said in 2018, if Mike Strickland isn't safe, then nobody is safe. Here he is in 2018, two years after the incident, arguing for an appeal for Strickland. Note his prescience. The guy totally called it. 
the judicial branch hasn't figured out, other than Brett Kavanaugh experiencing it personally, the rest of the judicial branch hasn't, hasn't deduced what's happening in the public arena, what's happening at these protests, what's happening at these social gatherings, what's happening in these tactics, these mob tactics that are being utilized. It's the reason why the press is so nervous about the use of the word mob is because of how accurate it depicts their tactics and techniques over the past two years. Tactics they experimented a little bit with Occupy Wall Street, but that went sideways because everybody was busy assaulting everybody inside. So that, you know, but they're going, returning back to those roots, and those are dangerous roots for the uh, for political expression. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. And they're saying, oh, these are just some complaining conservatives. So, you know, I was talking to a high-end tech lawyer. He's like, oh, these are just complaining conservatives um, about Facebook and Google and YouTube. And then, of course, it comes out. And then yesterday, Facebook is getting rid of a bunch of le- lefty sites. And they're all shocked. And it's like, why are you shocked? This was the plan. Um, the dissenting groups in China will be next. Other people will be next. So the, it will be an international uh, effort to censor and, and, and shame. And then the other aspect is the stalking behaviors and mob-like behaviors of which the black bloc is the front line. When you saw the media publicly defend Antifa, uh, then you knew just what the objective was, the agenda was. And Antifa's been walking. In the few cases where they've been prosecuted, they're being prosecuted in, in very liberal and left-wing jurisdictions, the effect of which has been that they've walked. So right now, if you're in the black bloc, what do you think? I can harass somebody and get away with it. I can harass somebody and get them arrested if they try to defend themselves. Uh, and that's what they want. They want people to not defend themselves so that they feel terrified, so that they feel scared, so that they feel frightened, so that their behavior can be publicly and privately coerced. Um, and that's the danger and the threat. And that's why this case is much bigger than one person. But this battle would be just the beginning of a long, extended battle. The Whatever happens here, there'll be other courts to be dealing with and there'll be other uh, remedies to be sought. Uh, but the advantage is if this can happen to him here, it can happen to anyone anywhere, and it means nobody is safe. Uh, and that's why this case is so significant. Next time, in the case of Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft, when everybody hates you. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by victoriataft.com and our Antifa action figures. Just in time for your Christmas buying season, there's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa, Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures. Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.